Hey there, it's Jamie Scrimger here, and you're listening to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm a wife, a mom, a stepmom, a coach, a conversation opener, and a BS caller. Eight years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking, marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Look, don't get me wrong. I was madly in love. The kids were great. But being a stepmom is, well, it's just complicated. If you know, you know. As a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I went to the internet for support. But I was disappointed with what I found. So I decided to create the type of support I was looking for. Raw, real, solution-focused conversations about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. Life can be hard, really freaking hard. But it's entirely possible to thrive amongst the tough stuff. Each week, I will bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to inspire you to live your own version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Let's do this. Hey guys, welcome back to the Kick-Ass Stepmom podcast. If you've been with me for a while, welcome back. Thank you for coming back and for, yeah, all of your support, for touching base with me after the show, for letting me know what you think. Yeah, I'm just feeling super grateful for this podcast lately and I just, I love you guys so much. And if you are new and are just discovering the community. We've had a lot of new listeners lately. I've been getting some DMs. I just want to say welcome. I'm so excited you are here. You know, as a stepmom of almost 10 years, I have built a community and a support network based on what I felt was lacking for stepmoms. And I know that to this day, there's still so many stepmoms feeling like the support for stepmoms is lacking. So I hope that you find comfort and peace and connection here. And I'm just pumped that you found us and I can't wait to connect. So be sure to shoot me a DM over on Instagram at Jamie Scrimger. I love hearing from you. Now, if you have been following along, you may have noticed a theme lately in where I'm at in my personal work and just like what I've been focused on. And I've just really been diving into my own trauma and stories and childhood wounds and attachment style and looking at the whole picture of why I am the way I am and why I show up in my adulthood the way that I do. This has been such a freeing experience for me and so many things have started to make sense. And I just think there's so much value, immense value in doing this work. You know, since reading books like How to Do the Work by Nicole Perra, Discovering Your Inner Mother by Bethany Webster, The Boundary Boss, Terry Cole, like I feel like I understand myself, my triggers, my insecurities, and just my patterns so much better. And I feel so much more in control of myself and have the power to change things that haven't been working. And I think we can all admit that as a stepmom, you feel like you don't have a lot of control. You know, in my relationships and my family and my childhood, there's been so many things that I've always felt like I had no control over, but there's just been this shift. I feel like I just have so much more control over my life. And the only thing that has changed is me. So, you know, once you start to see how these old stories and wounds have shown up in your life, you can't unsee this stuff. It's just so powerful and it's so life-changing. And I love that. I love that I'm able to share this with all of you. So today's conversation is actually along the same lines There's so much value, so much insight. Today's episode is with Jessica Baum, licensed mental health counselor. She's got a book coming out and I am fairly confident that I am going to be adding this to the list of game-changing books I just listed above because this conversation was next level. So in this episode, we chat about attachment styles. So anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, and how these show up in our relationships, not just our intimate relationships though, but our relationships with important people in our life. We talk about stepmom life and how anxious attachment and avoidant attachment may show up in how someone experiences stepmotherhood and the challenges and insecurities that come with that. And we also share our own experiences. So I talk about how I have an anxious avoidant attachment style based on my childhood and abandonment issues and the inconsistent relationships with my parents and the lack of emotional safety in my world. And during this conversation, it dawned on me how the wounds of that have showed up in my relationship with my stepkids, especially at the beginning. 
So we talk about core wounds and relationships, how to discover core wounds, how to break the cycle, what it means to be self-full and not selfless. I love when conversations exceed my expectations, and this is definitely one of them. Now, before we dive in, if you are loving the podcast, if this resonates with you, I would be forever grateful if you would leave a rating and a review, share it with a fellow stepmom. You know, the only way that we can change the conversation about step family life and debunk the stigma that comes with being a stepmom and address the conversations is by normalizing conversations like these. You know, sharing not only helps the show, but it helps the stepmom community as a whole because there is still such a double standard. And I'm working hard to debunk all of that. Now, if after this episode you are craving more, don't forget about my membership, the exclusive stepmom community. Members get access to my office hours where you can come ask me a question, get my two cents on anything that's going on, connect with other stepmoms and me in the forum. You can apply for free coaching calls, listen in on coaching calls, get access to exclusive interviews and podcast episodes and monthly workshops. And I just released a really good one all about how to disengage the right way. You guys are loving it. And I'm super passionate about disengaging the right way because you can do it the right way and you can do it the wrong way. And the wrong way is not going to make things any better. Now, if you want to join right now, it's 30% off for Mother's Day. Never done this before, but just felt super called to put a little discount on it because I know that there's a lot of stepmamas struggling around May. So jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership. Use the code Mother's Day, all one word in caps, to lock in for 30% off. And I'll see you in there. Let's get to the episode. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I was excited for this conversation this morning when, you know, I was looking at the calendar and seeing what we have. And then when we were just talking offline, I just found out that you are a stepmom as well. So I feel like this conversation, I knew it was going to be good, but now I'm like, okay, yeah, this is going to be next level. So I was thinking just to start off, you want to kind of give us a quick little rundown on who you are for those who maybe aren't familiar. My name is Jessica Baum, and I am a licensed clinical mental health counselor, psychotherapist, and I specialize with treating couples, relationship, trauma, attachment theory, addiction, codependency, love addiction, those types of, you know, where our core wounds and our stuff comes up in our relationships and kind of using relationships as a mirror in. And I work a lot with couples. So you know, that's where my passion and that's primarily where my practice is at. And I have a group practice and we work together as a group. There's five of us and we really treat system issues and really treat couples and families and co-parenting and a lot of, you know, just helping systems function better. Mm -hmm. And we can all use that. Now you talk a lot about attachment Mm -hmm. and I would really love to dive in to that today. I think we hear people talk about attachment styles and stuff. You know, it's more common online and Instagram, they're seeing all the posts and stuff, but can you really give us kind of a little bit of a deep dive on attachment styles and how they affect how we show up in these relationships with the people who we love? Absolutely. And I'm so happy like the general public is starting to understand attachment styles. I always say it's like more important than knowing your horoscope or your partner's horoscope because really they're embedded patterns and they're things that we develop really early on and they're patterns on how we relate and how we genuinely trust and stay in connection or work through pain within ourselves and within our more intimate bonds. And so when you're really young and there's a lot of science backing this up, like how you learn to adapt and your early experiences lay down some of the foundational blueprint in your nervous system. And so when you're really young, you're co-regulating, you're with your mother, you're one unit, and you're learning to get your needs met and you guys are kind of in a dance. And depending on how well your needs were met, and it doesn't have to be perfect, but if they were inconsistent, that leads to more of an anxious attachment style, never feeling you're going to get enough, being hypervigilant. And I can go through, you know, all the hallmarks if your parents maybe weren't emotionally available because they didn't get that from their parents or something was going on for them, 
And as a baby, you just kind of learn to kind of give up a little bit on the relationship. And so you don't value relationships as much. You become more self-soothing rather than like co-regulating and you can develop more of an avoidant attachment style, which is like, think of it as like those people who are really independent, you know, super, super independent and don't feel safe being vulnerable and connecting. If your parents were good enough and you learned inherent trust that your needs are going to get met when you cried and there was rupture and repair, big majority has secure attachment. And that's an inherent sense that people are safe I can trust people. I can get really close, but I'm also okay with my own autonomy. There's an easier movement between intimacy and connection and it's a spectrum. And it's also like knowing where you land is it's also a two way street. So you could have a more anxious base. You could even have avoidant traits in there because we take in both of our primary caregivers. But when you partner with somebody, the partnering and the patterning together is what shows up in the relationship. So, you know, I wrote a book on anxious attachment, but I wrote a book for people to really understand both anxious attachment and avoidant because they tend to partner up or the pattern that lives inside of you tends to come out in a lot of your relationships and there are harder relationships to work through, but the pattern lives in you. And so anxious and avoidant people tend to partner and your pattern's going to show up anyway. So if you're anxious and your partner's avoidant, you're going to have your work show up in that relationship. And again, there's a spectrum. I mean, we're labeling things, but really this is many layers and a combination of two people's system. And as we explore today on this podcast, it's also, you know, the children, you know, if you're a stepmom, your patterns are actually going to show up in the relationships that matter the most to you. You're going to unconsciously and consciously create some of the same patterns, uh, ways of adapting when you were small in the important relationships that are happening in your current life here and now. It's actually fascinating when you really start to understand it. Yeah. And just to back up for one second. So do you mean that typically people who have avoidant attachment and anxious attachment, they tend to get together? Yes, they get together and the traits in each other tend to exacerbate the fears in each other. So when they get together, the ways in which they adapted to survive are the exact opposite ways the other person needs safety in that moment. So like an anxious person wants to feel close and needs a lot of reassurance and loves intimacy, but has a fear of abandonment. So they're going to want to stay very close to their partner. And an avoidant person struggles with abandonment too, but in order to keep themselves safe, they actually distance themselves a little when things get scary. So just when the anxious person wants connection and co-regulation and the avoidant person pulls back, it almost is like then it's a domino effect within the relationship. So it's just harder because they're both activated in their sympathetic system at the same time. So it's harder to get back into connection in that dynamic. But I write a lot about not only healing that dynamic, but healing yourself if you're in that dynamic with your partner or using the relationship to heal your own work anyway. So it doesn't really matter. The hope is that you heal with your partner and you guys get conscious together. But if you are experiencing a lot of pain, you can use those experiences to heal what is already inside of you. You just will have to do it with somebody who can help you see it and hold it and heal it in that way rather than in a conscious relationship where you're doing the relationship work together. And to do that, you obviously have to be aware of your own patterns and pay attention to how this is maybe showing up for you. And I feel like that can be so hard, right? Especially when you're in a relationship that, you know, things maybe aren't going great and you're struggling. It's so easy for us to be like, well, they're doing this and they're not meeting my needs and they're showing up in this way. When the power really does come from like diving into like, why is this triggering me? And like, why is this coming up for me? How do you recommend people start that process to identify their own patterns and just dive into the things they can control? That is such a good question. And I think we're all guilty of projecting. Mm -hmm. And part of projection is like, we're not even aware that we're doing it. Yeah. Because it is happening in the here and now. Your partner could be doing a behavior that is causing you extreme pain. But if the sensations are big and the ruptures like in your body is sensational and attached to a core wound, then you also know what's happening in the here and now is thematic and old too. So I 
think, and it's been humbling for me as I wrote this book and I'm living my life, it's sometimes you want to reframe it and say, what is my partner bringing up in me rather than look at what they're doing to me or look at their behavior. Okay. Their behavior is X, Y, and Z because they're struggling with something. And what does that behavior bring up inside of me? So you want to go into your body. Where do you feel it? If it's big and it's sensational, like because of trauma lives in our body or our attachment patterns live in our body. So if it's big and explosive, and I know if you're listening, you know what that feels like, then there's like a flashlight into there's more that meets the eye here. This is where some of your unconscious or we call it implicit memory. It's where your wounding is. So we can blame our partner and hope that they modify their behaviors, which is in a conscious relationship the work of the relationship is that they become conscious of those behaviors and help us, but it's not their job to fix this sensation going on inside of us. It's their job to become aware of it and be kind and loving around it. And it's our job to understand that this actually exists inside of us. And that can be a mind blowing awareness that even I am like, wow, like this person's not causing me this pain. This pain lives inside of me. Like it's just a shift. It's actually an empowering shift when you can get there. But if you spend a lot of time blaming just your partner, that's okay. That's just a normal reaction. We want to point at what's causing us pain. And I think it's important to remember that the pain also lives inside of you or else you wouldn't have these experiences And I am by no means saying that boundaries and putting up with behaviors are okay. I'm saying exploring what comes up in you is like the key to unlocking your own healing, which is essentially where the work is, regardless of what relationship you're in, toxic or however you want to label it. I think the work is to get inside yourself and heal these core wounds. Yeah. You know, that's so good. And I keep thinking back to when my husband, Darren, and I first got together. So I think we're married a year. And here's the thing. I had this like rose colored glasses perspective of my childhood and thinking like it was all fine. And then I look back and I realized, no, it was not fine. I had very anxious attachment, like very inconsistent parents weren't really in tune with my emotional needs. Cause I don't know if they were truly in tune with their own. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff there, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize how much it impacted me until I tried to show up and have a healthy relationship with my husband. And every time we would get into an argument or just have like a difference of opinion, I thought he was leaving. It was like the end of the world. And I was going to leave first because, you know, obviously I wanted to be in control of the situation. Like Uh I literally thought it was the end of our relationship every single time that would happen. And it was interesting. He said to me, he was like, Jamie, I'm not leaving you. I'm never going to leave you. That was your life before. This is your life now. And you need to understand, like, I didn't realize how much I was bringing that to my relationship with him. And it's really interesting how when you get into a relationship, all of a sudden it's like a mirror for all of your shit, (laughs) like all of the stuff that you haven't been dealing with. Mm -hmm. That's like so amazing that you're explaining that. And, you know, our brain isn't always functioning in the here and now. So our amygdala can be primed for abandonment. And if you had experienced, you know, rupture or conflict and then, oh my God, a disappearing act, or I'm going to be left or whatever, your brain's just going to assume that that's just going to keep happening to you. And so he's actually helping you heal that by you realizing like every time he's like, I'm not going anywhere, you're able to say, oh, okay, well now every single time this happens and he doesn't go anywhere, it's new wiring, you know, in your brain saying, okay, you might always have a little bit of, you know, a spark, but you're going to know, oh, he's not going anywhere. Now we're just having conflict and, you know, how to have safe conflict where I'm not so scared of being abandoned because that lives, I think, consciously and subconsciously in how you adapted, but also me and anybody who struggles with codependency or more anxious attachment. So it's cool that you know your attachment style and it's sweet that he can give you that reassurance. Yeah. And that was nine years ago. So we've been together for 10 years now. And it's interesting just how much we've been able to evolve with just being aware of how what we learned about the world as children show up in us now. Uh Now, when it comes to your, when it comes to being a stepmom, right? So you're a stepmom. It's not an easy job, eh? It can be challenging. There's just a lot of insecurities that come out. 
How do you think attachment styles come out for stepmoms, especially when they're feeling insecure about maybe their relationships or maybe dealing with the ex or their new role? How would that all kind of come into play? So I'm going to call myself out on something. And I could talk about being a stepmom. It's been an evolving process. But for those of you listening who actually know a lot about anxious attachment, it was a while ago, but I was with, I'm a stepmom of two boys. They're young. I got lucky and I'm in their life, you know, when they were pretty young and I would, some unconscious part of me wanted love from them and reassurance from them. So I would play this game. It didn't last long before I realized what I was doing, where I was like, okay, you guys, I'm going to pretend I'm dying. And when I'm dying, you need to come over and give me hugs and kisses. And so I would, I would be like, I'm dying. And they would run over and they would give me hugs and kisses. And I was like, oh, this is such a great way to get them close to me and get them to give me love. And then I was like, holy crap, this is my anxious attachment style. I wanted love and reassurance for them. So I came up with a game where I was literally dying without their love to get them to run over and give me love. It only went on a few times where I was like, wow, like this is even showing up in how I interact with them. I don't think it was coming from such an insecure place. I just think I wanted a hug and I, I didn't know about how to go and ask for that. So I created this dynamic with them. So I laugh at it now because it shows up in so many ways. And sometimes in life, you just have to laugh at your patterns or you have to laugh at how it shows up. But yeah, they're amazing. And, you know, I never really wanted to be a mom myself and becoming attached to them has been a process but I get it now. Like I get why people want to be a mom because of them. So they have showed me a window into something that you can only know through experiencing. So it's been like a beautiful gift. I love that you say that. Cause I never talked about being a mom. Like I wasn't someone who's like, when I grow up, I'm going to have three kids or I want, I never dreamed of family. And when my husband and I got together, I would say, you know, they really unleashed this maternal instinct that I didn't even know I had, Uh right. It was just, wasn't even on my radar, Uh but I want to back up for one second because what you just said just sparked something in me. I was like, holy, one of my biggest regrets as a stepmom has always been that I didn't go, I, I'm not a hugger. Like I'm not a huggy person. I am now with my own daughter, but I just have never really been. And with them, even when they were really young, I wouldn't go in for like a hug. I wouldn't, you know, be super affectionate. We have such a great relationship, but it's not very physical. I probably, all three of them hugged them probably 10 times and I've been with them for 10 years. And looking back, I know now based on my attachment style, that's because I was like nervous. I was nervous about being rejected. I was nervous about, you know, not having that come back to me or feeling like they don't want to give me that love back, right? Because of that's the message that I had as a child. Like if I went all in and asked for this type of relationship, sometimes I got it, sometimes I didn't. And I wanted to protect myself. So yeah, I just kind of discovered something when you said that. It's like, it's just so crazy, right? You can't unsee it. No. And I, you know, I also think my stepkids, like they'll come and I will have not seen them because we don't have them full time. And they'll run in and give me a hug and they'll remind me of that openness. They'll remind me of, you know, the way I'm not naturally designed because I also struggle with running towards and doing that out of fear too. And so they'll bring that to me and I'll be like, oh yeah, like that's open, trusting, loving energy that they're bringing. And they remind me of that piece. Then it gives me permission to move in and be closer to them too. So they're such gifts because they are so innocent and just a place in which that mirror shows up, but also the ability to repair and their brutal honesty. And, you know, just, they really are a deepening within yourself too. So I just, it is a gift. I really value it as a gift. And again, it's not something I set out to be or look for and it's in my life. And I'm like, wow, like I didn't realize how much it would bring to my life at times. I'm going to interrupt this episode really quickly to give you the inside scoop on brands and resources that I'm loving, who also help support the show. A huge priority for me over the last year or so has been my sleep. My bedtime routine is something that I'm trying really hard to be deliberate about because I know that when I get off the screens or read a book or journal and have a hot drink before bed, I sleep way better. 
I've also learned the difference that great sheets can make. A few months back, we got the bamboo sheets from Cozy Earth. We got the sheet set and the duvet cover. And guys, I can't even. They blew my mind and are by far the softest, most comfortable sheets I've ever slept in. And I get hot at night and regularly get the night sweats. And these sheets are temperature regulating, which is perfect because it helps keep me cool. Certified free of harmful chemicals, easy to wash, won't pill, and have a 10-year warranty, I cannot recommend these bamboo sheets enough. And of course, I have a code for you, so you can use the code JamieS40 for 40% off. Yes, 40%. Investing in good sheets makes such a huge difference in your sleep. And when you get good sleep, you show up as a better version of yourself in the morning. You deserve it, and the people in your life deserve it. And seriously, they're just so soft. So Jamie S40 for 40% off. You can go to Cozy Earth's website or jamiescrimger.com forward slash Cozy Earth and use the code and you'll be good to go. Sidebar, Cozy Earth also has the bamboo jogger set that I'm always posting about on Instagram. Also so freaking comfortable. Highly, highly recommend. As I've said so many times, Lululemon is a huge part of my wardrobe. It's a brand that I have worn and sworn by for years. Whether it be workout gear, a great sports bra, or just day-to-day athleisure, chances are you'll find me in at least one thing Lululemon every day of the week. Now to make it easier to share my favorite pieces with you guys, I have created a page on my website with my top picks. It's at www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash Lululemon. I have to say my all-time favorites are the Lululemon Align leggings and the cropped oversized crew, both so buttery soft. Every time I wear the crew, I get questions from you guys in my DMs. And so now you can get the lowdown on the crew and my other top picks on my website, www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash Lululemon. Happy shopping. How, as a stepmom, can you become more aware of your own patterns, your attachment patterns and how they're showing up in your step family life? Like what's that process? I think in your relationship with your stepkids, but in your relationship with people important, knowing the difference between when you're doing something out of an insecurity or not, what's driving the behavior, what's driving the need, can you get more vulnerable about what's going on? Kids are great because usually you can repair and if they're young enough, you can be vulnerable and they usually help you kind of heal in a way. So like knowing when you're feeling insecure and what are the behaviors attached to that insecurity and start to look at the fear that's underlining the insecurity and, you know, being more conscious of how you're showing up when you're secure and shifting it to more vulnerability with the relationships that you can be vulnerable with and they can kind of give you reassurance in that. And I think insecure parenting or step parenting or attachment, you need a lot of reassurance. So, you know, bringing that insecurity to people who can help you work through the fear and give you more reassurance is key. So just that awareness of like, why am I feeling this way? Is this old? Is this old? Like, Oh, maybe the kid gave me a cold shoulder today. I feel so unseen or so unheard. Well, that's probably old too. That's probably not the first time you felt unseen or unheard. It's probably not because you're a bad stepmom. It's probably attached to something older. So just becoming more aware of those things. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of stepmoms struggle with being the second wife, the second partner, not getting the firsts. And I think that some stepmoms struggle more than others How does attachment style come into that? Like, do you think that that's coming out from your old stories and just kind of challenging yourself about, you know, okay, is this true? Like, what story am I telling myself? Like, where is this coming from? Because I think often stepmoms are like, well, this doesn't matter as much or my relationship's not as important because I wasn't here first. Do you think there would be a difference there? Yeah, I hear you. And I think, you know, everybody's different and... I think I may answer this more on a personal level, but I'm a very spiritual person. And I think having an opportunity to play a role in a child's life is a gift. And if you can be present and loving and consistent to them, you're going to have a bigger impact on them than you can even imagine. And I'm not judging the other people in their life. I'm just saying how you show up in the present moment could be so nurturing and parental 
that that child's just going to remember the connection that you had with them. And if it's a safe, nurturing connection, you are going to be extremely important to them, no matter what. Like we make up the story that it's not ours or we have to be first or whatever. But the truth is connection is connection. If the connection is deep and authentic and warm and non-judgmental, you are going to become this energy in them in which they will internalize you as a safe person and remember you forever. And so, yeah, okay, maybe you don't have the biological piece, but at the end of the day, you might have the nurturing piece to get internalized as a mother figure. And so I'm not sure any of it really matters because your ability to impact them is just the same. It might even be bigger if you can get out of your own story. Mm-hmm. That's so true. What about the stepmom who struggles with being the second wife, the second partner? You know, I don't struggle with that, but I know a lot of people who do. And that has to do with a deep insecurity within because they're, if you're listening and that's you, you're being chosen now by your husband. Like he is choosing you now. And so what does that actually mean for you? And I think you know, we can go back and try to analyze the past and get upset with the way things have unfolded. Or you can say, well, I'm being chosen right now. He is my person and try to like really move into that space of, I can't change the past. I have to let go, but I'm being chosen now. And I don't personally have that issue. I don't know. I just believe things unfold the way they are meant to, but even if they're not meant to unfold that way, this is the way they are. So an acceptance of this is the way they are now. And look at what I have, you know, look at what I'm committed to now. Look at the present, because I think it's a setup in your mind. It's a way for you to kind of keep knocking yourself down or making you feel less than. And I'm not really sure that has anything to do with the current narrative. Again, that might be a core wound. Like we can always say, well, I'm not this and I'm not that. And I'm less than here. And I'm, you know, and that story can go on and on and on. And we're just projecting it onto something. And not only are we projecting it onto something, we're projecting it onto something that we have no control over because it happened in the past. So getting really clear around I'm not enough is being projected into the story, really looking at I'm not enough. Where did that start? Where's the origin of that? Because that's what's driving the narrative in your whole life. I might not be enough in my book club. I might not be enough here. I might not be there. I'm the second wife. I'm not really the biological mom. And it's like, I'm not enough lives inside of you. You're just projecting it into the here and now. So you want to get into the sensations of not being enough and realize that there's a little girl or boy in you that feels that way, still living inside of you and is projecting it into the here and now and making the situations match with the feeling versus going back to the original sense of not feeling enough and understanding it's the lens in which you're coloring all your experiences. Mm -hmm. It's so powerful. You know, I always thought that going back and looking at your childhood and and like reparenting yourself and all of that. I was like, it's so cheesy. Like there was a time when I was like hearing all this, I'm like, I don't know. But wow, like when you really can go back and like think about what you needed as a child and how that's just showing up now, it changes everything because we're always like looking for proof to the story that we're telling ourselves, right? Like, you know, you're talking about like your stepson could give you a cold shoulder or something. You're like, oh, okay, well, not enough right? Like you're just looking for proof for the storyline that we have that's been passed down. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, and I, you know, I just finished this book and I'm narrating it, which is my, my voice is not done yet a little bit hoarse, but I talk about little me and as I'm narrating, I'm like, oh my God, this book is so much about your little you. And I think your little you is consciously or unconsciously driving most of your decisions. And we're not even aware of it until we kind of understand that the past is living in the present and that our brain, and if you want to go into quantum or neuroscience or our developmental trauma, like our brain can't always tell the difference. So we have the stored parts of ourselves from the past constantly showing up in the present. And I think it's our work to notice when that's showing up and to be curious and tender and not really like that logical side wants to like understand it. And it's like, some of it is just 
more sensation or we call it implicit memory that's coming up. So being more conscious that there's something much deeper here going on than what is actually going on. It is little me work. And I was like reading my book and I'm like, God, whoever buys this book is going to hear a lot about their inner child. And it all goes back to that. And I just think if people were actually aware of how much that is impacting their here and now, we would all be doing the work. But I think our brain protects us. And I think some people are not in denial, but a little more disconnected from how that impacts their here and now, because maybe they're not ready to do the healing or the mirrors aren't showing up for the work in the here and now, or it's just not the right time. But at the right time, like you said, it showed up in your marriage and it showed up in your relationship with your kids. Like the mirrors keep coming and you have to start to say, okay, there's something deeper going on here. And that's a calling to kind of heal the old so that you can kind of work through it and create more freedom or safety in your world. Yeah. You know, I'm a big believer that, and I talk about this a lot, you're going to keep finding yourself in the same situations again and again and again until you learn the lessons that you need to learn or you do the work that you need to do. And I think that's really how you become more aware of these patterns too and your core wounds. You know, you talk about core wounds because if you keep finding yourself in these situations or the same type of conflict or the same type of just tough stuff with people in your life, there's a message there. It's telling you something. It's about far more than your relationship with them. Right. And the sensation and the patterns live in you. So here I go again, I'm feeling this way. It's like, because it lives in you, it doesn't live in the external. We live in a society where it's like, change this, do this, fix this, manifest this. And it's like, great. And I'm all for productivity, but it's not always about doing, it's about being right. Being with and being with what shows up. And so I think when we're in the same situation over and over and over again, as humans, we want to change the situation externally, you know, and the work is being more with what's going on internally and not always changing the situation, but being uncomfortable or exploring the sensation. And in a lot of the neuroscience work that I do in office, I'm a psychotherapist, but it's being in those sensations with people who aren't trying to fix you, but can help hold you. And that's what leads to like integration in your brain. So it's this conscious awareness of like, it's not always about fixing. It becomes about holding and curiosity and being more of an observer of yourself. So you can start to put some of the bigger pieces together and be with those harder moments with the right support. Mm -hmm. So good. Now, do you find that people with anxious attachment or avoidant attachment tend to be controlling? Yeah. Like, is that a huge... Yeah. Thing. Cause you know, I, I've been thinking about this, like uh-huh. I find a lot of stepmoms struggle with control, right? Like, because when you become a stepmom, you are reminded of how many things you don't have control over, right? Like there's a uh-huh. lot of things that you don't have control over. And again, going back to, you know, we find ourselves in these situations where we need to learn the lessons that we need to learn. I find that a lot of controlling people or control freaks and perfectionists, we find ourselves stepmoms <laughs> and we end up having to learn these lessons. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, trying to control your external world usually stems from a chaos or a feeling of out of control in your internal world. And so for someone who is anxiously attached, they're going to plan a lot. I mean, I could plan my bathroom breaks. They are trying to keep their world safe by trying to control as much as humanly possible. And there is no shame in that. It's recognizing that like, the feeling of out of control and the feeling of chaos was probably something maybe in your childhood home, but it's something that you're uncomfortable with. And so you adapted by trying to control as much as possible to feel safe. Essentially, that's what it comes down to is to feel safe. So if you don't have a plan or you feel like you're living in chaos, it feels very chaotic in your body. So one of the things in which we do is try to create, for me, it's like plan, like planned activities. I want to know when you're coming. I want to know when you're going and I could plan the next year out. It would give me a sense of safety and I have to work on spontaneity and uncertainty and living in the unknown and just creating space for what fear comes up when I'm a little bit 
in that unknown. So yeah, control and, and being compassionate around, like if you're controlling, if you're seen as a controlling person, like what is it that you're scared of feeling if you weren't in control that you need to access? And if it's chaos, if you're scared of feeling chaotic, what does that feel like in your body? How scary is that for you? Can you have someone hold that chaos with you so that you're not doing behaviors all the time to prevent yourself from that feeling? Essentially, you're avoiding the scary feeling of chaos by trying to control your external world. I always like to ask myself, like, what's the worst that could happen? Like when I'm asking myself, like, what am I scared of? Okay, if that happens, what will I do? And when you let yourself go there, sometimes you're like, oh yeah, okay. Not really that big of a deal. Like I'm not back there anymore. This is my present life, right? Like you're saying like, this is past stuff. Yeah, no, that's such a great tool because I think what you're essentially doing is saying, okay, I'm noticing fear is operating on some level. Let me play the worst tape out. Oh, if that happens, I'll survive and I'll be fine too. Therefore it eliminates some of the drive for some of the behaviors that are being driven by fear, you're eliminating the fear by confronting the fear, essentially, and realizing that you'll survive no matter what and have survived a million things and you're resilient and you kind of can tap into that. If you can do that, like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Okay, I'll deal with that, you know, and, and being able to do that gives you permission to kind of let go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it really helpful. Now you talk about being selfful and selfless. Can you unpack that for me? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of how the book started was many years ago. I worked with a lot of codependency and I would tell my clients, you got to learn how to be more selfish. And they would look at me like, oh no, like that's a bad word. Like selfish, like who wants to be selfish? There's such a negative association with that. So I was like, well, okay, I got to come up with a new word, which led into a whole new theory. But I was like, think of it as self-full. Like you can take care of your needs and the needs of others, but you need to be aware of your needs first. There's a dance here. It's not to self-sacrifice. And I think so many people who have anxious attachment and struggle with codependency learned to abandon themselves as a way to survive. They survive by being more hypervigilant on what's going on in their external environment to survive and understand what was going on. And so they're really empathic and they're really sensitive and they could read a room and they're really just people who understand like what's going on outside. But the consequences of that is sometimes they have self-abandoned what is going on inside of them, their own needs. And so they became externally focused. So they tend to attract pretty selfish people or they perceive people as selfish who are really good at taking care of themselves probably too much and can't see into them. So there again, it's the same pendulum that I'm explaining. So I created the word of self-full for people to start to understand that boundaries or understanding your own needs or having this connection with yourself doesn't mean you stop giving to others. It means you start giving from a place of fullness. It's learning that like, if you're my friend and you're sick and I care a lot about you and I have the time, I might make chicken soup and bring that over to you. Right. But if you're my friend and you're sick and I got stressors going on in my life and my life is crazy and I have this selfless mentality, I might be so scared that if I don't bring soup to you, our relationship will go down the tubes. So it's learning when to give, how to give, how to give to yourself, how to say no, how to be in relationship where you have options and that having option doesn't mean that the relationship is going anywhere. The fear of abandonment lessens and you learn to have flexibility and mobility in terms of taking care of your own needs and showing up for others. Yeah, that's so good. And it's crazy how even just changing the word there can, you know, make that so much more attainable, really, right? Because you're right, selfish has such a negative meaning to it. But, you know, there's this quote, I've been talking about it a lot lately, it came up on Instagram. It was talking about like, what if we cared for ourselves and met our own needs the same way as we cared for other people and met everyone else's needs in our life, just as moms and women and stepmoms. And it's crazy the shift that you feel in yourself when you start to do that and how much better you can show up for everyone else 
when you're also taking care of yourself. Like people don't realize that. And even still, like I still have conversations with women who are like, I feel so guilty. You know, how do you not feel guilty practicing self-care? And I get a little annoyed because I'm like, how are we still here? Mm. How are we still right here? But we are still here. Like it's still a huge struggle for so many. Yeah. I mean, I hear you and I understand. And I also think there's guilt and there's also fear around. I never learned to take care of myself. No one ever showed me that it was okay. I was always preoccupied with taking care of others. So I hear other people's needs louder than I hear myself. And when I take care of my own needs, I have to deal with what comes up around that, the guilt, the shame, I'm undeserving or unworthy. And, you know, again, this goes back to like anxious attachment and codependency, like how we adapt it is that we're really good and we might even like the role. It might feel better to show up for other people. We might need that role in order to feel good about ourselves. So if I don't show up for them, then I have to feel what it feels like to not be this giving person or to let someone else down or all these other things that show up when I let go of this role, because this is a role that I've played for so long. It's very scary to even risk it, right? So when we start risking it and disappointing people and saying, no, we have to deal with what's coming up inside of us because that might be new. I swung the pendulum. Like I was giving, 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 giving. And then I finally was like, oh my God, exhausted myself. And then I learned how to be a little bit, maybe selfish if you want to call it that. But then I swung back into the middle and like the middle is the sweet spot. That's where you learn it is good to give and receive. And there's a balance here. There's a reciprocal flow of life. And when you can learn to let go of some of the fear and trust that flow with healthy relationships and in healthy situations, you learn that you can get your needs met and you can still show up for others. And that's what we call interdependent. I can be me. You can be you. You can depend on me. I can depend on you. You get to take care of you. I get to take care of me. You get to be all of yourself. And we get to be this with someone else. And it's through healthy relationships with others. And it doesn't have to be your romantic partner. It could be a friend, even a therapist or a coach, but it's learning how to say no and it not being the end of the world inside your body. So a lot of it is what you're scared of feeling if you say no or take care of yourself. And a lot of that stems from how you were adapting as a child and how you're hardwired. So it's a evolution. I see a lot of people who struggle with codependency kind of swing the pendulum. Oh, now I I figured out how to take care of myself. I'm so mad. I've been just self-sacrificing all these years. And it's like, yeah, okay. And do you want to be mad at that person? Or do you want to look at why you self-sacrificed as a form of adaptation and be compassionate towards yourself? And now we can move back. It's not about punishing the person that took from you. It's about looking at why you gave that way in a compassionate way and understanding it from a developmental lens. Mm -hmm. Now, when someone is experiencing that guilt, because you totally just like changed my perspective on that because I'm seeing like a different picture. When someone is feeling that guilt or feeling discomfort about meeting their own needs and, you know, their stuff is coming up, do you have any advice for them uh, in terms of like digging into those uncomfortable feelings to you know, be able to identify those core wounds? Yeah. I mean, again, this goes back to the same kind of question you asked me not that long ago, but around sense of self-worth and not receiving as a child and not feeling deserving at the heart of things. And so it can be very painful or like a disconfirming to receive or give to yourself can feel awkward and painful if you never really received or learned that before. So it can bring up just a feelings of not deserving, which is a sensation of like almost shame or disgust or unworthiness. And I think it's a core wound again. And the core wound is I am not deserving. So I'm just going to keep giving and giving and giving in hopes that, you know, I get what I need. But if I stop and give to myself, there's something that just really doesn't feel right about that. And that's because no one taught you how. 
and you have an inherent dialogue or an inherent narrative around being undeserving. And so working on that, where did that develop and how did that serve you? Because it served you at one point and is it still serving you in your life today? This is so good. Thank you so much. Can you tell us about the book? Because yeah. I feel like everyone's like, okay, I need this. Yeah. I mean, oh gosh, I spent four years writing this book and um, it's been a labor of love and I have personally learned through the whole process, but the book is a very, very compassionate lens around how you adapted and how you became anxiously attached. It explores the anxious avoidant dance in depth from a lens where you understand the science of not only yourself, but your partners and how that shows up. And it provides a pathway to healing, to start healing and truly helps you understand what it is that you need to heal. And one of that is being in the presence of a lot of people who are secure and safe so that your system starts to recognize and depend on healthy people. That's one way we start to build neuroplasticity, but it also works with the body. Um, My book has meditations attached and really kind of start to see that you can heal exactly where you are and use your painful or wonderful experiences as a way to kind of become this catalyst for your own change. And so it's three parts, you know, how you got there, how to do the inner work, and then how to apply that to your relationships in the here and now. So there's this progression throughout the book and I have created and done a lot of things. This is a beautiful offering from my heart and I've worked so hard on it. And I'm just, I'm excited and I hope it touches so many people from a big way or just shifts their perspective on their own sense of self that like kind of opens the door to more healing. I hope it's well received because I definitely wrote it from my heart and it's really about better understanding yourself and developing that self-compassion for change. I mean, real change. Mm -hmm. Well, if this interview is any indication, I'm sure it's going to be very well received. I appreciate you taking the time. Where can everyone find you? I have a Instagram page, Jessica Baum, LMHC. And then I have a website, beselffull.com. You know, there are some free incentives for anybody. So Jessica Baum, LMHC, beselffull.com is where you can find me and the book's landing page and all the information for anything free that we're offering if you pre-order the book. So good. Well, thank you so much. I will send everyone your way and congratulations. Thank you. You have been a gem and you're a great interviewer. So I appreciate our connection and our talk today. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, and if the podcast has been resonating with you, I would be forever grateful if you would head on over to iTunes and give the show a rating and a review. And if you know someone who would benefit from listening to this episode, be sure to send it their way. Now, if you are craving more, head to my website, jamiescrimger.com. There are lots of blog posts and podcast episodes and resources available for you over there. And if you really want to dive in, I do take on a limited number of coaching clients every month. So you can book one call or work with me for three months. Either way, we will create an individualized plan for your unique step family situation. Remember, sitting around biatching about how hard being a stepmom is won't make being a stepmom any easier. If you want change in your life, it has to start with you. Chat with you next week.